All right, we're in Genesis 22 tonight. Genesis 22, verses 1 through 19. Let's give our attention to God's Word. It says, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they, so they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his, father, to his father Abraham, my father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in, the, caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. The grass withers, the flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. So we pray for us before we keep looking at it. Lord God, our Father in heaven, we are we're looking at a, at a very difficult passage tonight. And we always need your help. We always need you to, to work, to... Um, to illuminate what you have for us to hear in your word so that we can hear it. But tonight especially, maybe, uh, would, you, would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us eyes to see? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is one of those, this is one of those uh, f- sort of famous stories from the Bible, I think, that, that a lot of times we, it's very easy for us to misunderstand right? Uh, that you probably think, you might very well think that you know the story, and it very well might be one that you just don't like. 
uh, and I can certainly understand that. Um, but I want to suggest to you that what I want you to see tonight, I, I sort of want to rethink this passage, give it a fresh look, uh, and see it for what it is, because I think what you're going to find is that this is an incredibly gracious passage. It's an amazing story of God's grace and his love to Abraham and, and to all of his people. And so you know this semester, and this is our last one, which is, which is pretty crazy to think about, right? It's our last study in Genesis. We have our lessons in carols, RUF, uh, after Thanksgiving. But, so we've been studying through Genesis, and every week, now this is the 13th time, uh, we say that Genesis is like season one of, of all of life. That uh, just like if you want to understand a television show that's you know, in season three, understand what's going on, the best thing to do is to go back and watch season one. Right, And in the same way, if we want to understand our lives, if we want to understand who we are, who God is, the world around us, what better way to, uh, to begin to do that than to go to the, to the back story, right? To go see where it all started. And so, again, we're going to do that one more time. And so what we're going to see tonight, uh, Lord willing, I think this passage helps us to understand how God works in his people's lives to, to grow them, to grow us. So I want to look at three things uh, along this, the lines of the, the test that we see God gives Abraham. First, we want to look at the reason for the test. Secondly, secondly, we'll look at the way this test works. And then thirdly and finally, we want to look at the result of the test. So first, the reason for the test. And look, basically what I want to do in this sort of first point is exactly what we, we just said. I want, to, I want to rethink this whole idea. Um, rethink this idea of test. And I want to do that first by saying what's not happening in this passage. Okay? Look, God is not putting Abraham to the test to see if, he is, to see if he's in or out. To see if he's going to measure up. Right? To see if he, can, if he can cut it. If he's worthy of God loving him. That's not what's going on here. Right? I think oftentimes if you hear this story, or maybe just when you read the story, you hear it preached, I think that's the take that we tend to, to have on it. That God is putting some sort of obstacle in front of Abraham, and he's saying, all right, can you, can you do it or not? And a lot of times the point that we take away is, look, Abraham could do it, right? He woke up early the next morning. He was faithful, and, and certainly that's true. But the point usually is, so what about you? Do you love God like that? So, yeah, this is, this is not God acting like, like a pledge master in a fraternity, right? And, and this is sort of like hell week for the pledges. And, and basically to say, look, all right, you've come a long way, and here's your last test. And if you can, if you can get through this last obstacle, then you're in. But if not, sorry, you're out. Right? It's not operating like the MCAT or some other test like that. It's basically, it's purely to measure your performance. And if you, if you measure up, great. If not, better luck next time. That's not what's happening here. So rather, instead of seeing it that way, uh, really seeing it that it's, it's not really, this is not a test to see if Abraham has faith. Rather, it's a test to grow the faith that Abraham already has. So God's not trying to gain information here. 
He's not trying to see if Abraham's in or out. What he's trying to do, or what he's going to do, is to take the faith that Abraham already has and grow it. In other words, he is... He's going to put Abraham in this situation and really force him to see that he really is somebody that he can trust. To force Abraham to see that God really does love him even more than he already knows. And that he really can trust him. He's growing Abraham's faith. All right, how do we know this? All right, a few reasons. Uh, First, I think you can see that the main point of this whole event is in verse 14. The main takeaway, what Abraham took away from this whole ordeal and what we should take away is what you see in verse 14. God stops him from sacrificing Isaac and he provides this ram and what does it say? Verse 14. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Right? Abraham named this place, the Lord will provide. Why? Because that was the main idea. That's what he was blown away by. That's what he took from this whole thing, right? If it had been, if this was primarily about Abraham passing the test and, and having faith initially, it would, he would have named it something like Abraham passes the test or I was faithful. But what he took from this is that God provides. Second thought. Um, we also see that that Abraham had faith throughout the whole account, right? Uh, it says, what, there are a handful of places. Verse 5, he says that both of them uh, will come back from the sacrifice. It's plural there. It may not be reflected in the ESV, but it is, trust me. Verse 8, he says that uh, when his son asked him, when Isaac asked, where's the lamb? He said, God will provide. And then Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, obviously in the New Testament, tells us that Abraham had faith and basically... His best guess, this is sort of a paraphrase, his best guess is that God, if he sacrificed Isaac, God would raise him back from the dead. So what you see is that Abraham had faith the whole time, right? He had faith at least from Genesis 15, you know, 12 maybe. And third thought on this is that the rest of Scripture shows us that God tests his people Shows us that he does test his people and that he does it for our good. That he does it to grow our faith and our trust in him. A couple of places, I want to read one of them. James 1, 2 through 4. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If you're taking notes, write down 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. It's another place that it's very clear that God tests the people that he loves. And he does so to grow them. So all that goes to say that this test is born out of God's love for Abraham. And he wants to show him, look, you could... You already trust me, and I'm going to force you to see that you can trust me far more than you already know. I'm going to force you to see that I love you way more than you already think. God's putting him in this situation so that, really, so that he's forced, in a sense, forced to trust God so that God can prove faithful 
so that, his, so that that trust can be strengthened and confirmed and grown. I thought about it. It's a little bit like this. This summer, uh, Amy and I took our family up to Dallas to the Legoland Discovery Center for Miles' birthday. And uh, it was a lot of fun. So they got, they got a lot of things to do. And one of the rides, they, they have, what, two or three rides. And one of them... Uh, even though you can see the whole thing, right? It's right there. It goes up and down, goes around, right? One of our kids, you know, lest he hear the recording years later, I won't call him out. One of our kids was terrified of this ride and wanted no part of it. And so Amy and I are saying, like, look, you can see what happens. It's a lot of fun. You, you will enjoy this. And he's not wanting to do it. And so the other ones are wanting to do it. And the more we, the more we keep talking to him about it, you know, at some point it just sort of becomes a trust issue. Like, look, mom and dad are saying this is okay, right? I don't, like, you need to trust me that this is not, have we ever done anything to hurt you? Like, would we put you in a scary situation, right? Things like that. And so we're, we're and we, so we prod him and prod him. We essentially, it's his choice, but we sort of force him to go on this ride. And, and what do you think he, he realizes? He has a blast, Right? It's totally fun. It's not scary. And really what we're, like, yes, we want him to have fun, but really, in a sense, it's an exercise in trust. We want him to know, look, you can trust mom and dad, right? And so we're going to kind of force you to do this so that you see, we really do care about you. We We know that you know that. But it's an exercise to grow his trust so that, in a sense, it becomes a little bit easier next time, right? Why? Because he has some experience now. That was really scary. I didn't know what to do with it. They said it was going to be okay, and it was. Right? So you see the difference, right? We would be, we would be monsters if we said, look, we drove all this way. We paid all this money. So you're going to get on that ride, or you can find a new family. So which is it? Get on the ride and you can go home with us or refuse to get on the ride and find a new family, right? Obviously, that's not the route we went. And that's not what God is doing here in this passage. What God is doing is growing Abraham's faith by putting him in this tough situation. And so look, what I want you to understand, and we're going to flesh this out in just a minute, is that if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, God is doing the same thing with you. He is. The test, God will and does test you. But it's not to see if you're in or out. Fish or cut bait. It's to grow you because He already loves you. It's for your good. So let's dig in on that and see what that looks like a little bit. Second point, the way this test works. Look at sort of the details of it. All right, so notice what God does with Abraham. In verse 2, right at the very beginning, notice how he talks. He tells Abraham, look, take your son and sacrifice him. Offer him up to me. But notice how he says it. Four steps, so to speak. He says, take your son. And then he says, your only son, Isaac. Right, he says his name. And then on top of that, whom you love, right? Do you think God is, 
is making a point here that the text is going out of its way to sort of build, you know, one on top of the other. Why is that? Why is God making this point? You know, yeah, I guess you could say, like, it feels like God's sort of laying it on thick right here, right? Why? Well, think about who is Isaac? Isaac is the son that God has been prom- that God had promised to Abraham for years and years that he had waited on. He was the he was the the the, the embodiment of all the promises of God. He finally has him. He's the basis for all of Abraham's hopes and dreams for the future. It all comes down to Isaac. It's, it's his everything, I guess you could say, right? This is the, the one thing, the person that's the most important to him. And God looks at Abraham and he says, that. I want you to give that. And now God's asking them to give him up. So, yeah, how could he do that? Look, God is basically looking at Abraham and saying, can you trust me with that thing? Right? It's like he puts his finger at the very center of Abraham's soul. At the very core of who Abraham is. And he says, what about, what about this? Can you trust me with that? That's where I want you to trust me. Do you realize that I'm, that I'm good enough with even that? Do you know that I love you so much that you can trust me to take care of that for you and that I'll do what's best with it? Right? He's stripping away everything else from his heart so that he can see, so Abraham can see that he really can trust God. That Abraham's real treasure is God himself. And that if he has him, then he's got everything else. Right? But look, you can see how backwards that would feel, Right? I mean, this is seemingly crazy. So what I want you to see is that God's test is painful. Right? This was not easy. I mean, this was the one thing in Abraham's life that God puts his finger on and he says, that this. It's probably the one thing that Abraham didn't want him to touch. Uh, when, we, when I was doing youth ministry years ago, we took a trip to the beach, and one of the uh, girl that was on staff with us, she, we were playing volleyball, and she turned her ankle really bad. And so I took her to the, to the ER to get looked at. And she was in a lot of pain. And so the doctor comes in, and, and she just kept saying over and over, like, just, just don't touch it, just don't touch it, just don't touch it, right? And, you know, as he starts to look at it, she's just kind of freaking out, like, just don't touch, right? Like, Look, you can touch anywhere else, just don't touch right there, because it really hurts. But the doctor has to touch right there, right? Why? Because, because that's the part that needs healing. But it, but it does hurt. It doesn't seem to make sense. I'll give you another illustration. We need a TV illustration, right? You've got to end with at least a TV illustration somewhere in here. Anybody seen The Prophet? P-R-O-F-I-T, as in money, profit. Okay, one person. All right. Remember the real world? Just kidding. All right, so the profit. Marcus Lemonis is a, uh, um, so this is a reality TV show, right? 
Um, he's an entrepreneur, very wealthy guy, very brilliant businessman. And basically failing businesses uh, appeal to him to come on the show, right? So that, that basically that he comes to their business, buys a part of it, and then helps them renovate their business so that they can, you know, get back to making money again. And one of the things that, that always happens, whatever he decides to do, I'm going to sink $200,000 into your business, and I'm going to own a third of it, and, you know. But every time he says, look, for the next two weeks, this is part of the contract, I am 100% in charge. 100%. Whatever I say goes. And so they have to agree to that. And so one of the, one of the uh, you know, it happens every show. So look, you've got somebody that say, let's say they've owned this, uh, you know, they've owned their business for 30 years. You know, husband and wife, they've made every decision because they own it 100%. But now for these two weeks, Marcus is in charge. And he'll come in and say, look, uh, something just, it seems crazy to them. Look, we're going to shut the store down for a month and renovate it. Uh, we're going to quit selling your number, you know, what you think is your number one product. Or something like that. And they go bananas. Like, they cannot wrap their mind around it. But they have to do it. And what you see every time is that Marcus has always proved right. And it makes sense if you think about it. Their business is failing for a reason. And so they bring in this authority and he says, look, I'm going to do things that you're not going to understand. But they're still good. And every time he's proved right. But to them it feels so backwards. And I want you to see that it's a little bit like how God deals with us. Look, sometimes the test is going to come and it's going to hurt. And it's going to feel totally backwards. It's going to feel like God, not only does not God not love me, I feel like he's killing me. It's going to feel out of control. It's going to feel like death, maybe. Look, sometimes that's going to come in the form of difficult circumstances that just happen, so to speak, uh, that are out of your control. And it's going to hurt. Maybe you get broken up with. Maybe your parents get divorced or you get sick or you lose your job or something like that. And now look, we have to be really careful here, okay? Because this brings up like a million different questions that we just don't have time to address. But look, please hear me say this. When difficult circumstances come into our lives, it doesn't mean, I'm not saying that we can always know why, right? So in other words, you can't, you cannot think to yourself, wait, my parents, are you saying that my parents got divorced because God is trying to show me that I idolize my family too much? Like, No. Okay, that's not the route, that's not what we're saying. So that's why we have to be really careful with this. But what I am saying is that, that even in the midst of a circumstance like that, even in, that, God still, that God still is forcing the question on you, can you trust me with your family? Can you trust me there? And he's forcing the answer on you too. That yes, you can. You can trust me with that. Can you, can you trust me with your money? Can you trust me with your resume? Your reputation? 
sometimes the test is going to come in the form of a choice uh, of whether you are, are going to be obedient or not, right? Sort of more like what Abraham experiences. And the path of following God is going to look like death. It's going to look insane. It's not going to make any sense. You know, maybe it's the... Uh, Maybe it's if I am honest with this friend or this group of friends, if I'm honest with them, I very, I very likely may lose this friendship. And that doesn't make any sense. But can you trust him with your social life? Can you trust him in your relationships? You know, it might look like a believer that struggles with same-sex attraction. And they have to look and think, to follow God is going to mean that I very well may never find sexual fulfillment. I may never enjoy a sexual relationship. And that's going to feel like death. Can you trust, and God is forcing us, can you trust me there? Can you trust me with that? Can you trust me with your grades and your health and your future? Whatever it is for you that you sort of tend to build your life on, can you trust me with that? So God's going to push on you in places and it's going to hurt. But he does it so he can show you how much he loves you. And that brings us to our last point. So thirdly and finally, the result of the test. So how does this whole story wind up? So Abraham ties up the son that he loves. And he puts him on the wood. And he picks up the knife to kill him. Note that it, it actually doesn't say that he raised the knife. It just says he picked it up. Just, by the way. But then all of a sudden, verse 11, the, voice, the, the angel of the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham. Right? He essentially says, stop. Don't touch the boy. But that's not the end of the story, right? It's not just that, I mean, you can imagine the relief. He's been sweating this out for three days, walking with his son. And he picks up the knife, the moment's come, it's time, and God says, wait, stop, don't do that. But that's not where it ends, right? As as big of a relief as that is, but Abraham turns around and he sees a ram caught by the horns, and he realizes that God has provided this, this ram as a substitute. So you see, God didn't stop the sacrifice from happening. There's still going to be... There's still going to be a burnt offering. Right? What, what's a burnt offering? You, you know, read later. Leviticus 1 tells you all about it. A burnt offering is an atonement for sin. Where you would take an animal, you would lay your hands on it, as, so to identify with it, and then you would kill it and burn it. So that God would, ex- would essentially to say, like, you know, this is me. Let your wrath fall on this instead of me. And so that's what he was doing here. A burnt offering... So not only does, does Abraham have the relief of, right, he doesn't name the mountain, God didn't make me kill Isaac, which, which was awesome. He names it, the Lord provides. So you see that Abraham's beginning to see, wait, God is going to be both just and gracious. There's still going to be the burnt offering. There's still the sacrifice. And it's not going to be me or my son. God's going to provide a substitute. 
So you can imagine how much, how much more his faith is going to grow in that situation. Right? He knows that God loves him. He knows he can trust God with his life. But now he sees even more vividly right, that God actually provides for him. Even though that this test was incredibly painful. I can't imagine how hard it was. But now, with the result, he sees, he sees God's love so much clearer. Right? Think about Abraham's best case scenario that he could dream up was that I'll have to kill my son, but God will raise him from the dead. That was his best case. And God says, no, I'm going I'm to give you a substitute. But look, you have to see that that's really a pointer to something even, even greater than, than what Abraham experienced right then and there. Right? Look, this, this took place on Mount Moriah, which hundreds of years from this point is going to be the exact same place where the temple is built. The temple where God is going to uh, tell his people, and they're going to offer thousands upon thousands of sacrifices, right? It's the exact same place, but it goes even further. John 8, 56, says, Jesus uh, says this. He's speaking to, uh, speaking to some, some Jewish people, and he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Hear what Jesus said? Jesus said, Your father Abraham saw me in my day, right? Meaning kind of what I've come to do. And he rejoiced. And it seems fairly clear that, that this is what he's talking about. And look, we can't, we can't draw too fine a point, right, that, uh, on what exactly Abraham understood. But he had some picture that God was going to send a substitute. That God was going to provide. That it's a pointer forward. That, that, that not only is God going to provide a substitute, He's going to be the substitute Himself. But here's what I want you to see more than anything else. I want to end with this, uh, sort of answering this question. Then, in some ways, it's kind of hung out there. How could God ask this of Abraham? How in the world could he ask him to do this? And go through that. Well, at first, it's clear, it's clear that God had no intention of allowing him to carry this out. So let's say that to begin with. It was never going to happen. But at the same time, I think the, what you feel from this passage, right, the, the outrage... The, the tension, the, the weightiness of, of, of this man. I mean, think about what Abraham felt. I mean, you know what you feel just reading this. Right? Of taking your son that you love and walking with him and that you're going to have to give him up and that you're going you're gonna to kill him. Right? The weight of that, just how, how awful that is, that's actually a big part of the point. Now, what do I mean? What's God doing? God is giving us a little taste of what it's going to cost him to forgive us. God's giving us just a little glimpse of what forgiveness is going to cost. Yes, it's free to me and you, but it's going to cost him a lot. What do I mean? 
Because look, this same story is going to essentially play out again a few thousand years later. Right? Another son is going is to march up a hill with wood on his back, marching to his own death at the request of and at the hand of his own father. And he's going to willingly and obediently go. And he's going to get laid on, on this wood. And the knife is going to be picked up by his father. And it's going to be poised to slam down onto his son in judgment. But this time, nobody stops it. This time, the voice doesn't come that says, don't do that. The knife does come down on the sun, right? Jesus on the cross is your substitute. Willingly. He goes to it in your place. And God the Father brings the hand of judgment down onto Jesus and doesn't stop. Why? Because He loves you. Because He loves you. Right? It's it's a terrible scene, and yet He does it to show you. Right? It's the ultimate expression of His love. It's the ultimate expression of how much He loves you. He takes our judgment for us so that you and I can say, the Lord will provide. And look, so for us, Look, if you're not a believer and you're wondering if you can trust God at all, or if you are a believer and you're you're in the midst of wondering, can I trust God with that? I want you to I want you to hear Romans 8:32. It sums it up. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God gave up his son for you. He won't hold back anything else. So you can trust him, and he invites you to trust him even now. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for a semester of studying the beginnings of seeing your grace and your mercy in Genesis and here tonight uh, very vividly in how you provide. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. We pray that it would reign true in all of our hearts, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.